0: everybody. How are y'all doing? Hanging in there. It's a little snowy outside. Everybody do a little bit of shoveling this week? No, just me. Okay. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, the Bible in front of you, uh, you can grab that. We're going to be on page 1046. We are in the middle of a uh, series of... About the mission of Revelation Church, we've been talking about why we exist, and this is something that we do every January. We want to refresh our memories. Why are we here? Why why do we do this? What's the point? Uh, and our signage, our website, everything that we have says that Revelation Church exists as a family of Jesus followers who uh, are seeking to know Him, Jesus, and make Him known to the people of North Idaho and the nations. And the way we do that is through Jesus-made relationships. Jesus-focused discipleship and Jesus-empowered service. And last week, John talked about Jesus-made relationships, how there is this power that happens when Jesus brings people together that are completely different from each other, that have no natural reason to get together, and the onlooking world can go, what is going on with you Christians by the way you love each other? And that's our our goal, to have relationships that are forged by Christ. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus-focused discipleship. When I was eight, I had three pennants on my bedroom wall. You know what pennants are, the long, triangular flag things. One was an LA Raiders pennant, one was a San Francisco 49ers pennant, and one was a Miami Dolphins pennant. Those of you that know me might find that odd. Uh, I, had, I had an L.A. Raiders pennant because my buddy Jake liked the Raiders. I had a 49ers pennant because Joe Montana was the coolest person in the world at the time. And I had a Dolphins pennant because I just liked the colors. See, I was not a real football fan. I didn't, I didn't watch the games. I didn't care about the stats. I just had some flags on my wall. And I think a lot of times we approach the church the same way. Maybe some of you uh, would call yourself a Christian, but you, you just well, I come with a friend or it just seems like everybody's doing it or I, just, I really like the the music or or the pews or whatever. And it's it's not a real relationship with Christ. It's not a real pursuit of Jesus. And, and we talk a lot about this in, in the church when we talk about converts and disciples. We get really excited about converts. How many people? How big was the rally? Count the numbers. But Jesus never tells us to be converts. Jesus never tells us to just raise our hands and say, I'm a Christian. Jesus calls us to be disciples. Disciples are followers. And it really doesn't matter that much how many people are present in a Christian gathering, what matters is, what kind of people are they? And so when we talk about Jesus-focused discipleship, and and we look at it under the premise that that God is not hidden, Revelation Church is named after this idea that God reveals himself to people, and we're saying Jesus reveals himself to people through discipleship, The question we want to ask is, what does it mean to be a disciple? Pastor Bill Hull writes in his book on discipleship, a disciple is someone who rearranges their life around the practices of Jesus. Someone who rearranges their life around the practice of Jesus. Discipleship is a trajectory that we walk down that transforms us into the shape of Christ. So what we're going to, what I'm going to propose is that the world is going to see God in us when we pursue Jesus-focused discipleship. And in our text this morning, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a city in Greece. Uh, you can read about, and we will, we'll read a little bit about their story in Acts 17. Um, but right now, uh, he's writing a letter to them. And in this text, what I want to take a look at is three factors about discipleship. I want to take a look at the motivation of discipleship, the means of discipleship, and the result of discipleship. Motivation of discipleship, means of discipleship, and the result of discipleship. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 and talk about the motivation of discipleship. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, what Paul does not say. He does not say, you know, you, might, you better get serious about this or you might go to hell. You better follow Jesus or God's going to smite you. Jesus won't love you anymore. Everyone will think you're holy if you do the right things. Things are going to go well with you if you follow God. He He doesn't say those things. He doesn't use those things to motivate the Thessalonians. How are we motivated to follow Jesus? Faith, love, and hope. These are three things that all come from Jesus. He says, the the faith, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to walk a certain way, to live a certain life, and that motivation has to come from Jesus. It has to touch your past story, which is faith. It has to touch your present story, which is love, and it has to touch your future story, which is hope. What has Jesus saved you from? Jesus died on the cross for your sins 2,000 years ago. That's That's a fact. That's an event in the past that has happened. And we can cling to that. But what is Jesus doing in your heart today? How are you loved by God right now? And what is in store for your future? It's really easy to guilt and shame and fear people into pursuing Christ. I've heard it done. I've probably done it unintentionally, I hope. But it doesn't ultimately work. If you you use guilt and fear and shame to follow Jesus, you either become proud and calloused because you're just killing it, or you fall into despair when you fail and you give up. We have to be motivated to follow Jesus by Jesus himself. But why do we need to be motivated to follow Jesus? The same verses. In verse, he says, We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Work, labor, and endurance. Following Jesus is hard, it's challenging. I don't know about you, but I kind of, I, I get kind of depressed in the wintertime. I know s- s- some of us feel this way. It gets dark, like, all the time. It's cold. You don't want to be outside. My emotions kind of get the best of me. I just feel, like, down. And sometimes I think, like, man, I, is any of this even worth it anymore? You ever feel that way? Why? Because following Jesus can be hard. It can be stressful. It can be tiring. Because see, when we accept the call to follow Christ, it is clear that Jesus is going to radically reshape our lives. And it takes a lot of radical reshaping in my life to look like Jesus. When I was younger, I played golf. And... Uh, my parents play golf. They got me golf clubs. They wanted me to play golf. And I quit playing golf as a teenager because I hated it. And the reason I hated it is because I wasn't any good at it. And I didn't want to put the time in to get good at it. And so it just frustrated me. If you have to pursue something so inconsequential as golf, get good at it, how much more do we need to pursue the life of Christ? It gets hard. It takes work. It takes commitment. And so we need this motivation, and this motivation comes from Christ. What has he done for you? What is he doing in you now and where are you going? So what's, what's the means of discipleship? That was the motivation of discipleship. What, what is, how does discipleship work? What are the means of discipleship? Verse four, for we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So four things Paul says are the means of discipleship. How do you become a follower of Jesus? The first thing he says is the Word. But he says, not just the Word, but the Word. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a British pastor in the last century, says, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine and the other half telling them doctrine is not enough. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. We need the word, but we can't just have the word. There are other things, but let's talk about the word. As as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, we need to be committed to private, systematic devotional reading of scripture. Make time to let God speak to you through his word. According to some stats from LifeWay in 2017, 90% of Americans own a Bible and 11% have read it all the way through. That's it's a pretty low statistic and I I'm afraid in the church it's it's not that much better. We we all probably have multiple Bibles and we often don't read them. And and I say that as Someone who needs this as much as everyone else. My whole fall season was completely screwed up uh, for my Bible reading. I have a lot of excuses for why, but I just didn't keep my rhythms together. But we need to. We all stumble and we fall in that, but it's something that we need to make a priority. Why? Because God speaks through His Word. But not just private devotional reading, corporate preaching from the Word. We need to sit under the teaching of the Bible and church. And this is something that, um, you know, obviously you're all here today, so kind of preaching to the choir. But a generation ago, someone who called themselves a devoted follower of Jesus would say that they they attended a church gathering once a week. Now, someone who considers themselves a devoted follower of Christ attends once a month. We've just lost that as a community of Christians, that we just don't think that it's important anymore. Everything else seems to get in the way, and and that needs to be something that we take seriously. And then thirdly, we need to focus on the theological study of the Word. We need to learn the Bible. It is one thing to read the Bible, and we should be reading the Bible, but we have to understand that... Opening this book is entering a foreign country. It's entering a foreign land. If, if you airdrop into France and know nothing about French culture, you might figure a few things out after a while, but if you spend a couple months studying France before you go there, you're gonna get a whole lot more out of your trip. So my encouragement is to take a class, listen to a podcast, read a book, John Walton, who is a a professor of the Old Testament, often says, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. When Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he's not thinking about Revelation Church in 21st century Idaho. He is thinking of the Thessalonians Church in Greece. So we need to do a little extra work to figure out what is this about and how does it apply to us? One of the means of discipleship is the word, but not just the word, he says. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit with full assurance. The Spirit of God is inside of all of us. We have been given the Spirit. And three thoughts about the Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. Every day, everywhere, he is with you walking through your life, seeking to make himself known to you. I've told some of you this, but about a year ago, I decided I wanted to get to know the Holy Spirit's presence better. And one of the ways I did this is I set an alarm on my phone to buzz every hour just to remind me, like, whatever's going on right now, the Holy Spirit is in the middle of this. Learn sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. But also the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What are those things in your life? And I would encourage you, the next time you have an interaction, a meeting, um, a, a gathering, a conversation, some sort of task at work, debrief it with yourself. Where are the fruit of the Spirit? In my life right now, was I loving? Was I peaceful? Was I filled with self-control? Evidence of the Spirit should be increasing in your life. And thirdly, the gifts of the Spirit. How has God equipped you to serve the church? A lot of people, and I, I I love this, so I don't want to disparage this at all. But people come up to me and they want to get involved, and they say, and I say, what do you want to do? And and, And the response is, I'll do anything. I will I will scrub the toilets. I will clean the windows. I'll shovel the snow. Nobody said that. Nobody said I will shovel the snow. That's not true. <laughs> and I love that. But what have you been gifted to do? What have you been called to do? Yeah, I need everybody needs to sh- to to clean the toilets. They they're desperately dirty. Like they they need to be cleaned, but what has God given to you specifically that he wants done in this community of God's people? How, this, is, this is such a powerful question. How does Revelation Church suffer if you neglect your gifting? If you choose not to walk in what God has given you, how do all of us um, lose out? And maybe you're like, well, I don't know what I'm gifted in. I have, I, I, well, figure it out. Find out. There are ways to find out. One way to find out is to ask people that you trust who are Christians to say, hey, what, what do you think God has gifted me to do? What are, my, um, what are my gifts? What are my abilities? How do you see the Spirit at work in me? Sometimes it takes some poking and prodding and some conversations. But seek that. Ask God to show you, how have you gifted me? for the body, and and sometimes that's like a Sunday morning thing. There's jobs that need to be done on a Sunday morning, but sometimes it's not at all. Maybe maybe you have a gift of prayerful inter- intercession, and you're just home all week long, just lifting up people in prayer. That's awesome. We need more of that. It doesn't necessarily look like something that happens on a Sunday morning, but it does look like something, and, and I believe that if you're here, if you feel like this is where God has called you to be, God has given you gifts that we all need, And and, and if you aren't using them, then, then we're lacking. Means of discipleship, the Word and the Spirit. And thirdly, community. You know how we lived among you, verse 5, for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Community. Discipleship can't be done alone. It just, it just can't. There's just no mechanism in Scripture where people don't hang out with other Christians, and they get more godly. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, sorry, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes to his disciple. he said, "'You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus,' What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There are five generations of relationship in those verses. Jesus taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy taught some men, and those men are going to go out and teach others. Discipleship requires community. I attended, I've attended church for many, many, many years, and for a large portion of that time, I can say that no one really knew me. There was no one in my life that was asking, what are you walking in victory in this week? How are you struggling in sin this week? How can I pray for you this week? I I knew people, I did stuff, but I didn't really have any community. And and we we say in our mission statement that we are a family. If we if we're a family, if we live with each other, we see each other at our best and at our worst. We're honest, we're open, we're authentic. But the truth is, is some of, some of us attend gatherings and we just, we never let anyone in. We just consume the content that's put before us and, and we're unwilling to let people see what's going on inside. And we we just can't follow Jesus that way. Who Who is it? a few steps ahead of you in the faith? Who's been at this a little bit longer than you have? What are, what are you learning from them? Who, who's a few steps behind you? How are you leading them along? These, these relationships that we have with one and each other, they're, they're crucial, and they're, there's not hardly a page of Scripture in the New Testament that you can turn to that doesn't show off how the church is supposed to work. And if we want to pursue Christ, if we, if we want to grow as his followers, we need community. And then one more thing, means of discipleship, word, spirit, community. In verse 6, you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Persecution, this is not a popular uh, discipleship technique. But this is the reality. Like if we want to follow Christ, if we want to seek hard after Jesus, harm is going to come to us. In some form or another, and there are many places in the world, and I'm sure you know this, where people's lives are in danger, where people's livelihoods are in danger, where families just have members go missing because of Christ. And I would never want to wish that on us and we, we praise God that we live in a nation where we have freedom to gather and worship and and uh, communicate the love of God. But Jesus and his early followers don't, don't give us any outs. All those who seek to live godly in lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. and That has to mean something for all of us. And there are... There's this unfortunate um, message today, and I, I don't want to say that people are deceitful and lying on purpose, but in many spheres we hear that, that if you come to Jesus, everything is going to be great. everything's going to work out, and you're going to, at the very least, be happy and maybe also get a lot of money out of it. And that's just not the gospel. If we want to pursue Christ, if we want to focus our lives on Jesus, At some point or another, things are going to go badly for us. And we have to be prepared for that. So we talked about the motivation of discipleship. We talked about the means of discipleship. What is the result of discipleship? Look at verse 7. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath." So, the first result of our following Jesus, our discipleship to Christ, is we are an example to other believers. When we pursue Jesus, other Christians are encouraged. When I see my brothers and sisters devoting themselves to the Lord, it makes me want to follow their example. And secondly, outsiders hear the gospel. See, the Thessalonians, they completely reimagined their lives around Jesus. They took everything that they knew about how life worked, and they threw it away. And they turned around and followed Christ. Jesus turned their whole world upside down. And that's the sort of thing that draws people's attention. Uh, Paul mentions idols. Idols are anything that you give prominence to, that you give place to in your life, specifically more than God. And in Thessalonica, they were represented by statues and, and pillars and mythical creatures, but they're really just ideas that we give precedence to. And participation in the system of idolatry was just part of the fabric of Greek life, you want your crops to grow, you sacrifice to this God. You want to have a baby, you go to this temple. You, you burn a little bit of incense to this God for a good, little bit of good luck, and it's just part of the rhythm of the culture. Nobody thinks a lot about it. Everybody just does it. Participation in the system was just what it meant to be normal. And the Thessalonians rejected all of it. Turn if you could to Acts seventeen. This is the story of Paul's visit to Thessalonica. And a little bit of background: Paul shows up for a few weeks, gets to know some people, stays at this guy's house named Jason. In verse five, a lot of people get saved. In verse five, came and they. Died. Place, formed a mob, attacking Jason's house. They searched for them, Paul and his company. to bring Public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before them. these men who have turned the world upside down. Have come to and welcomed them, contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Hallelujah. See, the the gospel completely destroyed everything about the cultural assumptions that the Thessalonians had. And it completely reshaped their lives. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we read it, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Thessalonians just dropped, whole cloth, everything that they were a part of, and started living radically different lives. So the question for us, if, if we believe that, that God is not hidden, that God is pursuing people, and one of the ways he pursues people is by our focused discipleship to Christ, if we are looking to Jesus and saying, everything about my life, I want to be like Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I am going to pursue that. What does it look like in Coeur d'Alene? We don't have, generally, little statues to gods that we can stop worshiping. But what does it look like for people to look at our lives and go, like, what is different about you? And there's probably a hundred things, but I, I have a short list Maybe it looks like just deciding, you know what, I'm I'm not gonna buy a boat or an ATV. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that money to fund the mission of God's church around the world. Like what are you talking about? This is this is lake country. You gotta go out and you gotta get in the outdoors. This is what we're here for. Like, yeah, maybe. I'll borrow your boat, right? I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do this instead. Maybe it's just deciding I'm not going to curate my life on Instagram so that I can be the envy of other people. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Either I'm going to just shut off my social media or maybe I'm just going to show like what it's like to be real on social media. People don't want to see that. Like when your kids are freaking out and throwing a tantrum and I'll take a picture of that and post it. Maybe it's just rejecting the lie that you're going to be safe and secure as long as you have enough money. Maybe it's rejecting the lie that you will be safe and secure if you have enough guns. That's a big one. Maybe it's just inviting your next-door neighbor over for dinner. You ever done that and, and people are like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? Who are you? I don't even know you. Like, <laughs> we, we lived in a neighborhood several years ago, where it was a a nice little subdivision. Everyone had garages, so the car would go down the street, the garage door would open, the car would go in the garage, the garage door would close, and you'd never see the people. And we had new neighbors move in, and my wife baked them a little, I don't know what it was, carrot cake or something, and walked over and knocked on the door and said, hey, we're your neighbors, this is for you, And, and it was like, Are you from another planet? Who are you? What are you talking about? No, this is for you. Like, what am I going to do with this? This, What do you want from me? (laughs) It was so weird. Being neighborly is countercultural. Inviting your neighbor over for dinner and honestly caring about who they are. Is radical. It's easy, it's easy to use guilt and shame and fear to get people to do stuff. And that is not the goal. So if you're if you're feeling like, man, I'm I'm not reading my Bible like I should, or I'm not I'm not engaging with my church community like I should, and you're guilty about that, that is not the Holy Spirit. If you feel shame because you feel like you failed God, that is not the Holy Spirit. If you're afraid that God doesn't love you as much as he loves other people because you're not as good of a Christian, that is not the Holy Spirit. But what I believe is the Holy Spirit is, come on, guys, let's do this. Let's follow Jesus with everything that we have. Turn to Hebrews real quick. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But the author writes in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the generations of Christian saints that have gone before us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We read in Hebrews that Jesus has already won the battle. The war has been completed. And Jesus sits on the throne as king. And that's his encouragement. Come on, guys, let's do this. Let's follow in the footsteps of the men and women that have gone before us. Let's commit ourselves to giving everything that we have to following Christ. And so this morning, I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. I know the areas that I slip up. I already told you my Bible reading was a train wreck all all through the fall. I think that's back on track now. Seek the Lord. What are the things that you let get in the way of your pursuit of Christ? What are the things that you need to set aside? What are the things that you make excuses for that you know, yeah, I really need to rearrange my schedule or my wallet or my calendar or my time commitments or my relationships? If who we are in Christ and who we are becoming in Christ is the most important thing, then That should be reflected in our lives. It's not not easy. Paul says it's work and labor and endurance. But anything that's worthwhile is work and labor and endurance. But the Spirit of God is alive in us, working through us. So as we communion... The bread and the cup are representative of the body and blood of Christ, shed on the cross as a substitution for us. The death that we deserved, Jesus paid. And by taking food into our bodies, it's a reminder that the life of Christ is our sustenance. That whatever is going on in our world the Spirit of God in us propels us forward. And so as we, as we sing, I would just encourage you to pray, to ask the Lord, what, what does it look like for me to pursue you with everything that I have? God, what is getting in the way of that? And how do I get rid of it? So that I can be completely focused on Jesus and following him so that the world will see how beautiful and wonderful he is. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. God, we are we are your people today if we have surrendered our hearts to Christ, not because we have done anything, not because we are good enough not because we're holy enough, not because we've checked all the boxes, but because you are good and you love us, that you paid the price for our sins, that you reconciled us to God, that you secured our adoption as sons and daughters. It's all you. And when you call us to follow you, it's still all you. God, help us to take your call seriously this new year, this 2020. God, help us develop habits in pursuit of you. Help us re-engage with your word, maybe that we've neglected. Help us be in tune with your spirit and the work that he's doing in us. God, help us Grow closer to our community, because we need each other and, and God what, we don't pray for persecution, but when it comes, use it to shape us into the image of your son. And God, as we, as we take the bread and the cup and we, we sing your praises. Speak to us this morning and 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 show us what it looks like to follow you more closely and more deeply in this new year. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.